0: It's time for another College 12 Pack podcast. I'm your host Patrick Con, senior editor of the College Wires. With me, as always, Tyler Nattino of LSU Tigers Wire. Tyler, I was hoping to kick this show off. We were going to start talking about the coaches, all the A people, uh, but then Michael Orr versus the Tuies. This this came about out of nowhere. Uh, it seems like what? First off. I mean, the blind side, right? I mean, you love that movie. We all love that movie. I might hold it in a different light if these allegations are actually true. Uh, when, when you look at Michael Orr versus Toohey, uh versus the Tuis, really, I think a lot of people in, in, in the court of public opinion is probably going to side with the player who feels like he was wrong by some prominent people uh, taking advantage of this young kid, uh, back when he was in high school.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, <clears throat> like you said, this really kind of came out out of nowhere. Um, you know, we were just planning for the podcast, and ESPN drops a story on this. Um, and and just to be clear, you know, the initial story is pretty much entirely based on a lawsuit filed by Michael Orr against the Tuies. So it's, I mean, just definitionally, it was kind of a one-sided story. So that's just kind of worth keeping in the back of your mind. But yeah, so, I mean, he's basically alleging that the whole premise behind the movie and then the the, the book and the whole story was not true. Um, you know, alleging that rather than adopting him, they tricked him into signing, into making them his conservators. Um, and then they profited off the movie, making millions, you know, the upfront fee, apparently, according to the lawsuit, made like 250000 plus like two and a half percent royalties. He's saying he didn't see a dime of that. Um, and he's also saying that he didn't find any of this out until February um, of, of this year. So, you know, according to him, it's all pretty fresh. And, and to be fair to him, too, um, you know, he's been critical in the past of the movie, uh, specifically with like the way it portrayed him, his um, his intelligence. Also, there were just some uh, accuracy issues. Like, I mean, if you remember in the movie, a pretty big deal of it is him learning to play football, which apparently he had been playing for years. Um, You you know, he didn't learn that after, you know, sort of being taken into the Tui family. Um, Yeah, I mean, so obviously then yesterday, you know, this kind of took another turn because the Tui's respond with a statement of their own pretty strong denial of his allegations. You know, they're claiming basically a $15 million shakedown. Um, They're saying that he threatened to go to the press with this story. If they didn't pay him $15 million, they're saying that they paid him equal amounts from the movie that they got. I mean, everything here that's being alleged seems pretty easily verifiable one way or the other. Like I'm not trying to ride the fence here. It's just a a, a sort of sensitive ongoing legal situation. I mean, it, it does seem pretty zero sum though. Like, right? I mean, I don't think there's like a lot of room for middle ground here. Kind of seems like someone's telling the truth and someone's not.
0: Either you did or you didn't. Uh, That's really what it boils down to. And it got me thinking and I looked into it. uh, It doesn't really seem like there's anything to it. As far as the statute of limitation on the NCAA investigation, they found there was no wrongdoing. It just made me wonder. It just made me wonder. Was Ole Miss paying the twoies to hand deliver Michael Orr? for the old Miss Rebels, but they found nothing wrong, so I doubt that that will even be brought up, but it does beg the question, and you're right. This seems cut and dry. Either you have documentation to prove it or you don't, and so I don't know how long this will go on, but when you look at the story as a whole, it just made me raise an eyebrow a little bit because I I didn't expect a story like this to come out, even though we, we do know that Michael Orr has always been critical of the blind side. Uh, But moving right along, we're going to get into the upcoming college football season. The coaches poll came out last week. We didn't really talk about it, obviously. There were a lot of other things going on. Realignment, the death of the Pac-12, essentially. But let's get into the the coaches poll. And, Tyler, I'm going to kick this off with a team that I think is way too high. The Oklahoma Sooners coming in at 19, voted in by the coaches. Am I missing something? What exactly has Oklahoma proven to be a top 25 team? They've added. Don't get me wrong. They recruited well. They brought in some guys. But let's not forget, this is still the same team that went 6-7 and last year uh, with a loss to Florida State in the Cheez-It Bowl.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. Um, I mean, I have my own questions about Oklahoma. I will say there does seem to be at least a a pretty loud group of people in the media that kind of are bullish on this team for whatever reason. You know, seem to think Oklahoma is going to make a sort of push in year two. I mean, I don't really see it. I mean, I think Dylan Gabriel is a pretty solid quarterback. I think offensively, if he can stay healthy, they'll probably be able to do some good things. But, I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum on this show. That defense was a mess, and he's a defensive coach. I mean, I don't know. It would take a lot, I think, for them to make a significant leap. I mean, I don't think they'll be in the 500 range again, probably. But, I mean, I'm, I was surprised to see them in the preseason rankings. And this is not to say that I think Oklahoma is not going to be
0: ranked at some point in the season or ranked by season's end. Yeah, I just don't know that they've done enough. And again, let's be honest. Preseason rankings—why do they even matter? They don't. But those of us in the media like to talk about it. That's what we're going to do.
1: Tyler, who do you got too high in the coaches poll? Yeah, I've got Notre Dame. Um, You know, they're up at thirteen. Look, I'm not down on Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Like, I like Marcus Freeman. I I liked the move to acquire Sam Hartman at quarterback, but. Hartman, you know, is a guy that really kind of made his money at Wake Forest with the RPO game. That's not really the type of offense that Notre Dame runs. I think there's going to be an adjustment here. Um, I think. I think. I, don't, I mean, this was just a Notre Dame team that was inconsistent last year. You know, they went nine and four. Um, I, the way things started, not a bad result in year one by any means. But you know, a team that lost to Marshall, like a team that lost games it shouldn't have. I just think. Heading into this year to put them in the top 15, I just am not quite sure I see it. I think, they're, I think they're probably more of a team closer to, like, 20.
0: And let's not forget, Tommy Reese isn't calling the offensive shots anymore. He's down at Alabama. Uh, I wasn't sold on the offensive coordinator hire, and that makes me wonder how effective Sam Hartman's going to be. Let's not forget he's one of the top passers uh, in the country, uh, one of the active leaders among passing yards, touchdowns. Any metric you want to look at, he's among the league leaders. But I still have my questions about it. Uh, But moving right along, we are going to get into who's too low. Uh, You know what? I think I'm going to look at number 14, Utah Utes, coming in, the two-time defending Pac-12 champions. And let's be honest, I know they got questions. But if there's one coach that I will continuously rely on and I will pound the table for, uh, Scott Whittingham. I think he does a fantastic job. We've seen it time and time again. He goes up against some teams that he's overpowered against. And, uh, well, let's be honest, uh, he slapped USC around a little bit last year to win that second straight Pac-12 title uh, after doing it to Oregon the year before. So, uh, Utes, a little higher for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's kind of built Utah in just a, a machine. You know, I think the, the big question mark kind of coming into this year for them is just the quarterback situation. You know, they've got some injury problems there, obviously, camerizing towards ACL in the bowl game. He's participating, it seems like, in fall camp, not looking like he's going to be ready to go for week one against Florida, but obviously, you know, something to monitor there. And then their backup quarterback, um, you know, kind of a scary situation, was hospitalized last week for a lacerated kidney. So, He's also potentially, you know, they could theoretically be heading into that home game against Florida to open the year on that Thursday night, you know, with a, a third-string quarterback. So, you know, I think early in the year might be tough as they're trying to get back to healthy. But I think this team at full strength, absolutely, it's a it's a borderline top ten team in the country.
0: Well, they do have a quarterback they could throw in. He's playing running back these days. Jaquin and Jackson, former Texas Longhorn, could fill in for another former Texas Longhorn, Cameron Rising. Uh, but that'll be interesting to see how it goes. As far as too low for you, Tyler, who are you looking at?
1: Yeah, I've got another Pac-12 team that, I mean, I just am am very bullish on. I think Washington is, to me, you know, if anyone is going to challenge Utah for the crown this year in the conference, I I think it's Washington, um, more even so than some other teams that we'll talk about in a second. But I think, you know, they've got a really good offense. They've got some great players on defense, you know, a lot of good teams in this conference, um, but I think they're probably – I'm kind of trending towards picking them to win to win the league this year, to be honest with you. Um, and, and just to be clear, they're 11. I mean, that's not absurdly low, but I do think that they should be a top-10 team, honestly. I, I think they're the best team in this conference. Well, you
0: know, Washington has it uh, when you look at an offensive side of the ball. Um, and, and we know Trice on the defensive side, he's going to make a. And, in fact, so I can't really disagree with you there. Uh, but uh, we're splitting hairs talking about a number 11 team, but I agree. Uh, Washington is uh, maybe an underrated team, uh, if you can be underrated as a top 12 team in the country. Uh, but moving right along, we have the uh, our final portion here as we look at the coaches. But well, we're going to talk about who's left out. I might shock some people considering how – tough I've been on this team in the past, but I got Iowa, and mostly because of what Cooper DeJean and that defense can do. The offense has some upgrades. Let's not forget that they brought over a former Michigan quarterback in Cade McNamara. He's a guy who led, led them to a Big Ten title just two years ago. He kind of got the raw end of the deal last year with J.J. McCarthy coming in and taking over, uh, but now Cade is the guy, and I, and I think the offense will be improved, and even if they play at a competent level. I think Iowa is a team, you got to watch out for the Big Ten.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, people really like to joke about this program, but, you know, really good defensively, and I do think the offense will at least take some sort of step forward this year with Cade McNamara. I think he's the most talented quarterback they've had in a bit, and I think he's going to raise their ceiling on that side of the ball. Um, I think this is definitely a team to watch in the Big Ten West, and with, you know, Wisconsin kind of going through a big transition, they might be the favorite.
0: Yeah, don't sleep. Don't sleep on the Hawkeyes is what we're saying. Uh, Who are you going with? Who got left out?
1: Yeah, I've got a team that I'm really surprised, honestly, isn't ranked. Um, And I've got South Carolina. I mean, uh, you know, another team that up and down season in 2022, no doubt about it, but they ended the year really hot, you know, taking down, you know, Tennessee ruining their playoff hopes, ending a really long losing streak against their rival in Clemson. They bring a lot back. You know, they've got obviously Spencer Rattler who when he's on can make any throw that, you know, they ask him to Um, obviously a guy that has struggled with decision making at times, you know, definitely has the potential to have those games where he blows up and throws four or five interceptions like that happens. Um, It might happen again this year and probably will cost them at some point, but you know, you look at the offense with Juice Wells, you know, Nicholas Harbor, a five-star that they added, a really versatile player, sort of a tight end, wide receiver, almost Kyle Pitts-esque kind of player. Um, you know, I think their potential is really high, and, and I'm a little surprised, honestly, that if they were – you know, they included Texas A&M at number 25. I'm surprised that if you were going to squeeze one more SEC team in, I'm surprised that it was, it was Texas A&M and not South Carolina.
0: You know, I, I agree. And, you know, you're talking about McCown, uh Nicole's Harbor uh, coming in. He replaces Jahan Bell, who, who's now at Florida State. Uh, but, again, he might be even more talented. And we'll kind of see how how they utilize him. Do they use him in that running back versus tight end, big wide receiver role? But, yes, I agree with you 100%. When you look at South Carolina, they're a team. And let's not forget, this is the team that beat Tennessee and Clemson uh, back-to-back weeks to ruin two teams chances of playing in the college football playoff last year. Uh, so don't sleep on South Carolina. You have to like what Shane Beamer is doing. He's got his own brand of Beamer ball and it seems to be working in Columbia. Uh, but we're going to talk AP poll. It's very similar to the coaches' pulp minus a couple of teams, but we're going to kick it off. Who's too high for you, Tyler? We're going to let you have the floor on this one.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've got number six USC. I just don't see it. Um, you know, I, we talk, just talked about two Pac-12 teams that we both kind of think are, are being underrated by the pollsters entering the year. I, I just don't – I don't know if I see it with USC. I think they're going to be a very similar team to what they were last year. I mean, there's no doubts about, you know, the type of guy that Caleb Williams is, you know, a game-changing quarterback, no doubt about it, a weapon that's going to keep them in pretty much any game. Um, but they didn't look great against the best teams they played. You know, that defense struggled a lot. You know, Alex Grinch has a lot of questions, I think, as a defensive play caller. I don't think they really made a lot of changes that are going to like, you know, I don't think they didn't turn much over from a personnel perspective. So I don't really see how it's going to take that leap. I think they're just kind of going to be in the same range they were last year. And that, to me, just doesn't correlate to being a top six team. When you look at the teams behind them, I think a Penn State team that could make a big leap this year, you know, a Florida State team that maybe is the favorite to win the ACC I just, I just don't quite get why, uh, why they're so high on USC, aside from just the name recognition of quarterback. USC
0: reminds me of an old Big 12 team whose philosophy was, philosophy was the best defense is a really good offense. Shout out to Mike Leach of Texas Tech because, hey, Lincoln Riley was there. He understands. But looking at how this team was built, you're right. You look at them. Offensively, not a question in the world. We know Lincoln Riley is going to put them in a position to succeed. And we know Caleb Williams is going to execute as evidence the last year and a half. When you look at what he did at USC last year, the half of the season at Oklahoma prior to that, when he took over the job for Spencer Rattler, I don't have questions about that. My biggest question is why Alex Grinch is still in sunny California. Uh, I know the Trojan fans are asking the same question. Uh, I'm going to go on a different route, and uh, this might surprise some people. I'm going with Texas A&M coming in at number 23. That's not high, right? But uh, for me, 25, okay, you, I, you can sell me on 25. But when I look at this team, Texas A&M, the changes that they went through, uh, the mass exodus of talent uh, that left them during the offseason, you know, they still have Connor Wegman. Uh, they got Max Johnson. But really, when I look at this team, I don't see a top 25 caliber team right now. Uh, You might as well say I'm from the state of Missouri. Show me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think A&M is going to take a step forward this year from what happened last fall. But I think it's probably going to be slow. Like, I, I don't I mean, maybe they end the year, you know, ranked in the top 20 or maybe even pushing the top 15. That wouldn't like shock me if that happened, if they turned in like a nine and three type campaign. But, but yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, lost a lot in the portal. You know, you bring back a quarterback who's really promising in Connor Wegman, I think um, you know impressed the way he played down the stretch, but I don't know if he was so good that we can just say that we don't have questions at all about, you know, the, the quarterback position. And we've had a lot of questions about their offense. You know, the offensive scheme with Jimbo Fisher, Bobby Petrino's in there now. I don't know who's actually calling the shots there, but, I mean, just a lot of questions about this team. Looking at the teams that got left out, I'm surprised that they were one that made the cut, not only in the AP, but in the coaches as well. Yeah, it was a little bit of a shock, but it almost seems
0: like we hear this every year. Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Texas. These are the teams that we see year in, year out, in the year, unranked. And then by the time the preseason poll comes out, they're back in it. Can't understand why. Uh, but let's let's talk about somebody who's too low, Tyler. Who are you going with? Who's too low for you in the AP poll?
1: Yeah. So this is one of the one of the few areas where there's a little bit of a difference between the coaches and the AP poll. I'm going two lane. They're 24 um, in the AP. They're 23 in the coaches. I think both of those are probably a little bit too low. But I think especially the AP. I mean, look. I just I think, you know, this is a year where I don't think, especially with some of the top group of five programs historic, you know, from the last decade or so moving up to the power five level this year, you know, in like Cincinnati and UCF, there's not really a lot of clear uh, competitors for, you know, the, the G5 New Year six spot. I think Tulane, who got it last year, is, is as good a pick as any. I mean, they bring back quarterback and Michael Pratt. Obviously, got to replace some other pieces on offense, but I, I like the continuity there for the most part in a conference that's probably going to be easier to win now. Um, I mean, I just, you know, they've, I think they should probably be a top 20 team, to be honest with you. You can sell me on
0: top 20 uh, based on how Tulane played. <laughs> we saw what they did last year against USC in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, Ty J. Sharp, he will be missed, but don't forget that Pratt is still there. And, Willie Fritz is still running the program, still running the show. You can sell me on that. But for me, if I'm talking about a team that's too low, I might surprise some people here on with this one. How about Oregon State? You look at a team last year. They were 3-2 and two after the loss against Utah on October 1st. Went 7-1 and one the rest of the way. Uh, their only loss came by three points to a team called Washington who, as Tyler said earlier, they're too low. So – that's a talented team right there. Oh, and let's not forget, they just added uh, a former five-star quarterback, DJ uh, Alphabet Soup. That's what I'm going to say. But when you look at him, they they clearly upgraded at quarterback. And I really like what they are doing up there in Corvallis. So, for me, I'm buying in on the Beavers as a, a team that is too low
1: this year in the AP poll. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that pick. I think Oregon State is just – really they're they're overachieving a lot i mean last year was really impressive you know obviously they got the upset over oregon you know kind of ruined their season a little bit and then ended the year with a win over florida in dominating fashion i mean they're trending in a really good direction they're probably the biggest dark horse i mean if you want to look at teams outside of usc utah washington and oregon i think they're clearly the best team outside of that group i don't know if it's even particularly close um so you know, yeah, in a year where obviously a lot of turmoil for the program off the field, uh, you know, with the with all the realignment stuff, I think they're going to be a really fun team, and I think it could be a fun story to watch if they can go on a run. Um, but I did, I agree that they're, they're they should be ranked higher.
0: Yeah, they're a team that you know can make some noise in the final year of the Pac-12. Do I think they're going to win the Pac-12? Probably not, uh, but they'll at least be entertaining to watch. Pac-12 after dark will definitely be entertaining. Uh, You know, we looked at that. Now, we're going to look at this one here. We did it for the coaches. We're going to do it here. Who got left out
1: of the AP poll, in your opinion, Tyler? A team that got left out of both, actually. Uh, I got UTSA. They're receiving votes. They're, I think, the third highest vote-getter of non-ranked teams in both polls. Look, I mean – like I just was talking about with Tulane, I think they probably are the team to beat as far as uh, getting that G5 New Year six spot. But if you wanted to sell me on any other team, it's UTSA. I mean, they're the new addition to the AAC, you know, a, a young program, but was already kind of running a conference USA that was, you know, sort of had some, some dysfunction within it. Um, they were, I think a, a kind of a beacon of consistency and stability. They're building a really good program with Jeff Trailer. They've got a great quarterback and Frank Harris, you know, one of the best, Uh, G5 quarterbacks in the entire country. This team is going to be really good this year. I think they're, you know, the the question is, you know, if I'm trying to, you know, kind of play devil's advocate, they're going to be facing tougher conference competition this year. I mean, even in an AAC that loses, um, you know, Cincinnati and Houston, UCF, it's still a better league than what they were in. I just I think this should be a ranked team. I mean, I understand you know you usually don't get more than one G five team ranked in the preseason, but I think this is kind of a case where I think both Tulane and UTSA are kind of equally deserving.
0: You're right about that. the The one question, kind of like you said, to be devil's advocate is, well, let's be honest. UTSA just lost their best wide receiver to Ole Miss, um, That's so a good there are too. questions about you know who's going to be that next guy, uh, but. If there's a coach at the G5 level outside of Willie Fritz that I trust, I'm going to go with the Texas boy out of East Texas, Jeff Traylor. You know, I think he's done a tremendous job really turning them around because if you remember prior to him, Frank Harris couldn't get a winning season. Or Frank Wilson, I'm sorry. Frank Wilson, he could not have a winning season at UTSA. And he couldn't at McNeese State either. So maybe it was him. But when you look at that, Look at them now. Uh, You know, UTSA, they're coming off back-to-back 10-plus win seasons. I don't see why they can't do a third. And that's why I agree with you here. Um, Now, if you're watching this on YouTube and just look to my left, my right, but your left on the screen, Texas Tech did not get ranked in the top 25 on the AP poll. I don't want to sound like a blatant homer, and I'm not asking for them to be top 20, 15, 10. I think they're a top 25 team on both polls. It was a little surprising when I didn't see Texas Tech uh, in the top 25, considering how they finished the year, and uh, especially that game against Ole Miss where they just embarrassed them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Tech, there's a lot to like about this team. You know, I, I think I do have some questions, and I think that, you know, they could get lost in the shuffle. I feel like a little bit in the big 12 this year, just with it being such a packed group, I just don't know quite where they fit into that mix. Like I, I could see tech kind of having a, a, a year where it's like a seven and five or an eight and five. That doesn't really feel like that. Like it feels better than that, but that's just kind of where things end up. But yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, you know, if you're looking at teams that are kind of ranked near the back of this poll, they probably should be in it for both, especially if you're going to put Texas A&M in there.
0: I agree. I agree with you 100%. You had to like the energy Joey McGuire uh, brings to the table. It was fun to watch last year. Uh, I didn't want to be too much of a blatant homer, but I feel like I needed to get my, uh, my Texas Tech reference into each and every one of these episodes. But let's talk about, since you brought up Texas A&M, we're going to get into Johnny Manziel here shortly. Uh, but first, let's talk about Week Zero. Let's talk about some actual games. Uh, before we get into the untold Netflix story. You know, Week Zero doesn't really have, like, huge headlines, right? There are a few games that I'm interested in. Unfortunately, one game that nobody's going to get to watch is on the Pac-12 Network, and that's USC hosting San Jose State. That's a tough one for me. I want to be excited about that game, but I'm not going to get to watch it because it's on the Pac-12 Network. Uh, And then, obviously, the other big name, Notre Dame and Navy, but considering BetMGM MGM has Notre Dame currently as a 20 and a half point favorite. I don't know how much fun that game is going to be to watch either. Tyler.
1: Yeah, I think, I don't think Notre Dame Navy is going to be like a great game in terms of like an actual football game. I'm just really, really interested to see what Notre Dame's offense looks like with Sam Hartman. Um, you know, especially in a game that's probably going to be sort of a ball control type, you know, uh, you know, tempo and pace, very curious to see how that, how that works with the whole new look offense. I mean, and, and, you know, they're, you know, not the Navy's been great recently, but they are starting off, you know, in a rivalry game opponent with a pulse in Dublin. So you're dealing with international travel, time change, jet lag, all that kind of stuff. There are some factors here that I think make it worth watching. Um, and, yeah and it's, it's
0: a great storyline though, the Irish in Ireland. I mean, yeah. can it get any better than that to kick off the season?
1: No, and we certainly got some nice uh, some nice storylines out of the Ireland game last year. Uh, who could forget the the uh, beginning of the end of Scott Frost? So yeah, I mean, I think you know, yeah, like you said, it sucks about the the USC San Jose State game because I think that is a legitimately potentially good game. You know, San Jose State is a, is a I think a real legit uh, G five team. You know, they they I'm not saying they're gonna win, but I think that could be competitive. Um, not that I would ever advocate, you know illicit streaming, but, you know, maybe a game where, you know, if you have access to doing that kind of thing, you might want to look into it. Um, and then the only other game I wanted to make note of real quick, there's actually a legitimately very good G5 game uh, in the nightcap uh, between Ohio and Sandy, uh, San Diego State. That's actually a, could be a very good football game. And uh, one player in particular to keep an eye on is Curtis Rourke, the quarterback for Ohio, reigning Mac player of the year, really, really talented quarterback Guy that may be going to be playing on Sundays. So, just if you're looking for intrigue in those later games, that could be a fun one.
0: How about this? As I close this segment before we go on to Johnny Manziel, Vanderbilt getting an easy win to kick off the season. They're hosting Hawaii after going to Hawaii. Well, they went to Hawaii last (laughs) year, and uh, we saw what happened there. Uh, But you had to like what Clark Lee's doing. And we'll see if going from a two quarterback system to the one quarterback system with A.J. Swan for the uh, Commodores. That's going to be interesting to watch on uh, SEC Network. Uh, Now let's talk about Johnny Manziel. Netflix recently dropped the Untold series, and I'm a big fan of the Untold series, especially the Malice at the Palace. That was a great story. But then we have the Johnny Manziel story on Netflix, and one of my big takeaways is, well, Manziel was acting exactly like everybody thought he was doing, having people take drug tests for him just living it up but you know what bothered me most is that he had this big smirk on his face the whole time he's telling these stories some of which i figured he'd be a little embarrassed about
1: yeah i i see where you're coming from like i think i appreciated the transparency of it i Mm -hmm. mean i think it's i think it's cool that he's at a point in his life where he can you know sort of look back and talk about that openly um and you know obviously some you know personal struggles he's had kind of came to light um within that documentary that they weren't really known before. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of, am with you though. I mean, the kind of thought that I couldn't escape while watching it was, you know, there's nothing really fundamentally different here than, you know, like, like what I kept thinking was like, if, you know, if Caleb Williams and Bryce young wanted to be partying with Drake in the Hollywood Hills, instead of going to class, like they could have been doing that. You know what I mean? Like they had that kind of profile. Um, so I, I don't know if I love the framing of like, uh, you know, this is like what, you know, putting fame on a on a young kid will do because it certainly can do that. But I think there's a lot of examples where it doesn't too if that. If I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense, but.
0: Yeah, it was almost the glorifying the bad part of what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it, and let's be honest, I was a fan. I'm not a fan of Texas A&M being a being a tech guy. But when Johnny Manziel was on the field, I couldn't help but watch. So, you know, it was like he was drawing everybody in. And, and you know, I, one comment that he made in there, um, you know, and I've seen multiple times is how he was bigger than College Station, you know. And it, it almost felt that way. It's like people who didn't even care one way or the other about A&M were tuning in because they wanted to see what this guy had in store um, on that particular Saturday.
1: Yeah. And, and one thing I do kind of like is how they they – sort of um, made a lot of the focus on what, uh, having a player of that caliber with your football program, what that does for the university as a whole, you know, in terms of fundraising, uh, not just for sports, but just fundraising in general, you know, admissions, applications, you know, it, it really does make a big difference. And I think that highlights, you know, now that I think we're in the NIL era, it's, it's almost easy to forget that not that long ago, you couldn't do and you couldn't make a dime doing anything without facing potential consequences. I think I, I did like that. It illustrated, you know, the, the kind of effect that a player of Johnny Menzel's caliber has on a university in comparison to what at the time players were allowed to reap from that, you know?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about somebody else uh, who could be facing a jury. Uh, And when I say jury, I mean, the NCAA Uh, Jim Harbaugh, Now, we had heard stories that Michigan, the NCAA, and Jim Harbaugh had agreed on a suspension. Four games, obviously, it wasn't a a set of games that really were going to matter very much. But the NCAA says, no, we will not be doing the four-game suspension, which begs the question, and Tyler, I'm kind of curious about your thought process here. Does this mean that when the actual investigation happens after the season, and sanctions are headed down, are handed down to Michigan. Is he about to pull a Pete Carroll and head back to the NFL?
1: Uh, that will certainly be, I think, the talk of the town um, as this season gets underway. Look, uh, yeah, I think um, sort of could pretty easily misread what's happening here. Um, kind of sounds like the NCA tossed out a suspension. That does not mean Jim Harbaugh's in the clear. They tossed out his suspension because they didn't, you know, Michigan was trying to get out ahead of it, do self-imposed punishment. We've seen schools do this kind of thing all the time. The NCAA wasn't having it, and I think the 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 transcendent quote from all this uh, is is coming from the NCAA is that it's bigger than a cheeseburger, which you know was the whole whole sort of it stemmed from the idea that Jim Harbaugh had bought a, a burger for a play a recruit at a local restaurant. This is not ending anytime soon. Um, And I think it's especially going to be a cloud in a season where I think Michigan has legitimate national championship expectations. Um, If they were to win it, do they hold on to it? I don't know. And, and like you said, I mean, uh, I think we've seen Harbaugh flirt with leaving in the past. I think you're probably going to see that again, especially if it seems like sanctions are coming down the pipeline. It's could be a real mess.
0: And, and let's be frank. This isn't about him buying a kid a cheeseburger. is about him lying to investigators <clears throat> being found out that he lied to investigators. Uh, well, you know, which is a whole different level is a whole different level. And, and that's why I think that sanctions could come down after the season. And then we're going to see the flirtation with the NFL
1: once again, yeah, again, for like the third, third year in a row for the third year in a row.
0: But yeah. if Michigan does make it to the big 10 title game in Indianapolis, we could see a different future for the Big Ten. Uh, reports coming out that there's a chance they could be going to Vegas. Uh, the Big Ten title game in Las Vegas at,
1: is it Alliance Stadium? Allegiance? Alliance, I think. I think. I, Allian- no, no, that's a, no, Allegiance. Allegiance, yeah. Sorry.
0: Allegiance Stadium in uh, Las Vegas. Obviously, where the Las Vegas Raiders play. But here's the interesting part. The Big Ten is primarily, you know, in uh, the upper northeast, the Midwest. Primarily. Why are we talking about a conference title <laughs> game in the southwest, in Nevada? Now, it's closer for uh, Washington and Oregon, USC, or UCLA. But for me, I'm looking at this, and I, I don't quite understand it. But uh, if they want a new venue, go for it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it kind of just, just, I guess, sort of serves as a natural midpoint between the the Midwest schools and the West coast schools. I mean, in that regard, it makes sense. Uh, I think, you know, you would certainly, I think the purists would probably not be very happy with it leaving Indianapolis, you know, and, and look, I've only been to Indianapolis one time and it wasn't for like the combine or, or big 10 championship or anything like that. But for everything I've heard, Indy's just, a, Indy's just a great city for hosting events like that. Um, it's just, easy to get around everything's pretty centralized around the stadium and stuff like that so i think uh it's just a good event city and geographically obviously for what the big 10 has been historically uh it's made a lot of sense to keep it in indy i would be a little surprised if they made the move to vegas especially considering doesn't the pac-12 play their championship in vegas or if they move to la now i guess i mean maybe the pac-12 won't exist anymore but what pac-12 would be my yeah, question. I mean, I, yeah, who knows what's going to happen. There's a lot of moving parts here. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, in the meantime, yeah, I think that definitely is possible, but I don't really get it, especially for I, only four West Coast schools.
0: I don't get it either. Uh, but, hey, the more something get in Vegas, I mean, there's a lot to do in that town. Uh, just don't tell anybody about it because what happens there stays there. Uh, but let's stay in the Big Ten. And let's talk about a team that doesn't get it, Northwestern. Holy cow! Uh, it, it appears that even though that uh, one Mr. Pat Fitzgerald is no longer employed by Northwestern, uh, that has not stopped staff members in football from and the football team by paying homage to their former coach, uh, wearing tone deaf T-shirts or jerseys wearing the number uh, fifty one. I believe it was fifty one. Uh, yeah. Pat Fitzgerald's old number. Uh, paying homage to him. To me, this says one thing: lack of institutional control. Clean it up. All of them have got to go. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you're going to have guys that are loyal to Pat, uh, this will be a distraction. Will be a problem until they clean house.
1: Yeah, uh, really bad look. So yeah, like you said, they're wearing shirts to say "cats against the world." Got Fitzgerald's number on it. Um, you know, this is this is bad. I mean, disregarding just for a second, the morality of the whole deal, you know, the idea that, you know, of of all the things that, you know, were alleged to have happened at the program, this is also a coach who's actively suing Northwestern. Like you're publicly showing support for someone who is legally challenging this. I mean, this is just a really bad look across the board. I mean, I think it just goes to show, like you said, you're, you're probably going to have to have to clean house here. Um, I mean, and by the way, when you called them tone deaf, I just want to be clear. That's not us editorializing. That's a direct quote from the Northwestern athletic director. He called the shirts tone deaf. Oh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, it's just one of those things where you can't do that. You know, a lot, a lot of people are comparing it to sort of the the aftermath of the the Baylor situation where, you know, people that were still on the staff were showing their support for the Bryles family. Um, it, you just can't have it. Um, not when it's... You know, serious allegations like they had, um, not when you're embroiled in a, a multi million dollar legal dispute with your former head coach who's suing you for, you know, improper termination. I mean, you just can't have it. Um, and for David Braun, you know, obviously a guy who wasn't really around for any of this, um, you know, just got there a few months ago. Um, I mean, you know, he's going to have, you know, a lot of leeway this year um, from an on field perspective. But if you end up having to get rid of most of the assistants and really just clean house with the coaching staff, I'm not sure what argument really David Braun would have for for staying on the staff.
0: And let's not forget, not everybody agreed with Pat Fitzgerald. That's why this lawsuit came about and why the firing came about. Um, So essentially with these tone-deaf shirts, as the athletic director called them, you could still have a fractured locker room and, and, and really what Braun and Skip Holtz got to deal with is trying to bring them all back together uh, for this football season coming up. Uh, it's, it's a tough one for them. Uh, but make sure you come back next week. We're gonna take a little deeper dive as we get ready for week zero of the college football season. Plenty of stuff to talk about as you know, news breaks all the time. So I'm sure there'll be other topics that we're going to handle. But Tyler, for Tyler, I'm Patrick. See you next week.